founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network. Make sure you go over to americaoutloud.news, where you can check out all my colleagues' work, like the great Dr. Peter McCullough, people like the constitutional scholar uh, Paul Engel, and so many more, as well as America Out Loud Talk Radio, available 24-7 everywhere you want to get your podcast or stream. That's an Android device, an uh, Apple device, whatever. It just all works for you. My show today is with a guest that I've never had on before, but chances are you may know him. If you don't, I guarantee you're going to follow him after this interview. I absolutely 100% guarantee it. Why? Because I try to cut through the bullshit. I try to go for what actually matters. What is the main story? This individual does the same thing. He's likable. He's somebody that I believe is honest. He's not grifting when he posts things. He means what he says. And I was on his show back in July. I had no idea who he was. And it's probably a good thing that I didn't know who he was at the time because I went in completely naive. I was just having a nice conversation with somebody about the story I was working on. Afterwards, my phone blew up. Everybody's like, I just saw you on Viva Fry. That was awesome. You did great. I'm like, who is Viva Fry? And I looked into him like, oh, a lot of people know him and it showed how naive I might be even in all this world. I've been just a podcaster for so long. And this guy is an absolute giant uh, in the uh, YouTube world, Rumble world, especially. I hate to say YouTube because they censor everything I do anyway. Uh, but I'm going to welcome Viva Fry to the show. Welcome, Viva. How are you? Greg, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, so Viva, it was a pleasure to talk to you back in July. I've been looking for the connecting with you because I've seen you as a mover and shaker. You are out there every single day. You're on social media calling out the BS left and right. Um, you don't seem to care about what other people think, but you have the cool factor too. Like when I'm watching what you do, I'm like, this well, guy's kind of cool. Greg, go back. I, we were talking about this, you know, just before we got started. Go back and watch some of my early stuff. There's no cool factor there. There's pure cringe factor. The, the video, like the first video that I did that was sort of quasi-viral legal analysis I'm sitting on the roof of my house wearing sunglasses, which I vowed never to do again in a video. <laughs> I, I hate wearing sunglasses because I hate people not seeing my eyes and I hate not seeing people's eyes. Uh, it was cringe back in the day and now I've just gotten a little more uh, le laissez-faire or laissez-faire attitude, right? I, I don't give a crap anymore. <laughs> Uh, right. you know, except I just don't want to embarrass myself by you know, saying something tremendously stupid or wildly incorrect. Well, you're a likable guy, and I'm not sure it's because you were previously Canadian coming to the United <laughs> States, but I've never met a Canadian that I'm like, man, that was a rude person. Uh, and I mean that. I've never met a rude Canadian. Maybe Trudeau, if I ever met him, I wouldn't like, but he'd be, he'd be that, polite. He'd be polite to you. He would just stab you in the back or he'd be like politely rude. You know. Correct. And, uh, you know, but there's a lot of people like that. There is. I want to talk a little bit first about your story, introduce you to the audience here on the America Out Loud Network, talk a little bit about why you moved from being a lawyer in 2007 and what propelled you to take a microphone and talk to people every day. Can you tell us a little about your story? The, the Genesis story, and then we're going to get into whether or not I'm actually likable. I think I think a great many people would think I'm not likable based on Twitter, but I know that I'm likable, so when I tell someone to go F off on Twitter, they should take it with the likability and the love with which it's intended. Uh, so the gen Genesis 30,000 foot overview story 
youngest of five kids, family of lawyers. My father's a lawyer. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. She was a teacher once upon a time and then had five kids and had to, you know, <laughs> take care of them, even if it meant neglecting the last one. Youngest of five, I wasn't neglected. Father's a lawyer. Uh, the only one who's not a lawyer of the five siblings is my oldest brother. So my okay. second oldest brother's a lawyer, sister as well, who's in the middle. Uh, then Dan Lionlaw, who's also on, uh, on Twitter. Then me. Uh, you know, Jewish family, I would say secular, although a, a couple of us ended up very religious and others ended up very sacrilegious, me being the sacrilegious. Uh, we're born in Westmount, and if you're not from Canada, you're not from Montreal, Westmount is like, it's got a reputation, like a hoity-toity reputation, but it's, it's, it's just, it's a, an affluent neighborhood with different okay. tiers, lower, mid, and upper Westmount, and we were sort of like lower to mid Westmount. But five kids, dad was a lawyer, uh, you know, it, being the youngest of five kids with a lawyer of a father, what I thought was a normal upbringing would have been traumatizing to most people in terms of dinner arguments with five kids with opinions. <laughs> a, a father who took no shit and tolerated no rubbish. So you, you, you say stupid things, uh, you get corrected in the moment and not like a polite correction like that teacher who just went viral last week. You're in the courtroom. You're, you're in the courtroom, <laughs> courtroom all day long. <laughs> I, I, one of my youngest memories is, um, you know, I'm getting in trouble for having not done my homework. And then I said, but my sister didn't do her homework. And my dad's like, I don't care what your sister did or didn't do. Right now it's you. And my goodness, the amount of times my youngest kid uses that <laughs> as a diversionary tactic. Um, so that's, I, I, look, I, I was the youngest of five, so I was a troublemaker. I don't know if that's um, necessarily the, I don't know, the, the life pattern of a youngest child. A I was a troublemaker. <laughs> I, look, I get in lots and lots of trouble. I, I went through three high schools in five years. I, I'd like to make the joke that if I had gotten caught for the things that we did in Canada when I was a kid in the States, you'd go to jail, you, you know, or worse, or you, like, you know, bad things happen. You can run through people's backyards and sort of smash people's pumpkins in, in Canada and not have to worry about some of the potential um, less gun ownership. <laughs> less gun ownership. Police are maybe a little bit um, less gung-ho to arrest and, and, and whatever. But although this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, I got my stuff together in, uh, say, post-secondary education, studied philosophy, film, art. Then I went into law and then uh, started practicing, had my first kid, had something of a midlife crisis, said, if I'm doing this in 10 years, I'm going to be miserable. Left the law firm that I was at, a big one, intended to go back to commercial photography uh, before I could even do that, started getting calls to be a lawyer, to take clients on. Within a month, had more work than I knew what to do with. Ran that in from solo practice to a boutique litigation. 2017, still didn't like it any, any day more than the day before. And uh, you know, by that time, I had discovered internet, YouTube, viral videos. I said, oh, crap, I'll, I'll try it. I'll, I'll, I kept two clients, wound up the entire litigation practice, found substitute lawyers for the files, packed everything up, handed it off. Uh, and then went into marketing very briefly for a, a best friend of mine, and then the you know found my niche in YouTube. But in the beginning, was very polite, very. I, I didn't want. I never wanted to make enemies, and I still don't. But now I realize you're going to make enemies one way or the other. What if you say something good, say something bad, or don't say something at all? So you may as well pick the enemies that you make. And then I start. You know, then I started off with legal analysis, very uh, neutral. And then, you know, at some point in time, started feeling the need to express my own opinion and an obligation because people, it's nice, they want to know what you think. And at some point you have to disclose what you think so that people can assess, not the objectivity, but assess what you're saying accordingly. For right or for wrong, everyone's got implicit internal biases, which might impact what they're saying. And so you have to be that transparent with your, with your audience. And then COVID hit and then I just, then I stopped giving any sweet 
bugger all about pissing anybody off and, and, and felt the need to be in your face and, and much more vocal about what I thought was right, what I thought was wrong and where I thought the world was going. Well, let's start there. COVID, right? So the trucker convoy, I know you made a lot of videos during that time. Um, from when I went back and I started researching you to find out, why didn't I know who this guy was? Um, I realized I just missed it because my eyes were here in America on a lot of American issues, uh, looking at the West Coast and the way that they're requiring vaccination cards uh, here in my own state, taking down basketball nets so my kids couldn't play outside. Um, but I was kind of blind to what was going on. Tell me a little bit about what happened in 2020 through 2021 in Canada, um, in your view, and, and maybe what, what was different from the United States from what you've discovered and what was the same? Well, see, the, the genesis of my uh, curve in terms of like becoming more opinionated even predated COVID, but my goodness, did COVID wildly change the world. I, you know, I, I'd, I had always heard that YouTube was a censorship regime and don't talk about certain things and you'll avoid problems. And I never fully appreciated it until I started, you know, t covering the stories of, you know, Jeffrey Epstein back in 2018, Alex Jones. There were certain things I didn't even realize it. You talk about them, you cover the stories, you get demonetized, you start getting plugged into the troublemaker section of YouTube. And so I started discovering that. And I, you know, at, even at the time, put together a playlist, which I called YouTube chicanery. Um, and so I got familiar with soft censorship, hard censorship, the, the political nature of video hosting platforms. Then COVID hits. And other than the fact that the world, it, in the literally in the snap of a finger, someone said from one day to the next, we're shutting down the world as you knew it. And, um, and we knew nothing. Everyone was in a terror. I'm, you know, we were joking before we went live. I, I, I'm very aware of my own neuroses, my own um, I was going to say intellectual, not intellectual, but uh, psychological issues. Like I, I, I'm familiar with them. I, it, I, I, I'm right. neurotic, anxious. Uh, you can call it OCD, GAD, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, so when, when you know, the first two weeks of COVID happens, nobody knows a damn thing. I don't want to touch a book that came from my friends, uh, my best friend, because like we all think we're going to die. Yeah. And then two weeks later, when they start locking up uh, outdoor dog runs, you're like, yeah. I'm, I may be neurotic, but I'm not stupid. And when they start taking down swings from playgrounds, they start putting plywood over basketball nets. And, and I remember like the day, I think the tweet, I know the tweet is still out there. I was like, I go to a dog run, an outdoor dog run, and it's padlocked shut. I'm like, we're being governed by idiots and this makes no sense. Then you start having the Black Lives Matter protests and you have the same scientists who are telling you you're going to die if you go to a Trump rally, super spreader event, saying, well, you know, scientists say you shouldn't do it. But racism is a public health crisis. They couldn't kiss my ass fast enough after they said stupidity like that. So that, that's, you know, the evolution of COVID. Then it, it actually, oddly enough, shaped the niche that I had created before the live stream part, which was the car vlogs, the V-L-A-W-G. Right. I'm sitting at home with three kids. Uh, they were, they were obviously, they were younger at the time. They were, uh, let me see, not to, they were like four, seven, and 10, give or take. And I got two dogs and I'm, you know, I can't do anything. And, I, and I'm, I, I'm a part of the OCD. It's like, I need to be productive or even if it's only to feel productive, I need to continually spin wheels. Some people think it's a, a curse and others think it's a, a blessing, but I have to do it. I can't do it. I got three kids in the house. They're doing these freaking Zoom school things, which is a load of crap that pissed me off more than anything. So I got to go to the car and do my videos in the car. I got one kid who doesn't, needs a nap, will not take a nap in the house. So I ended up driving around with the kid. He falls asleep. I make a video in the car. This is what happened over the course of a couple of years. 
I meet Robert Barnes, who's my partner at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Uh, totally randomly interview him. I start doing, you know, more very periodic interviews. Um, there it is. Beautiful. Look at that. That's, ba that's back in the day when I ran for office. Back before the hair was luscious. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I, I said, I'm growing my, I called it the freedom for, I said, I'll cut my hair when I get freedom. I think I found freedom, but I've, I've grown attached to the hair. Um, <laughs> so I started doing these car vlogs, but also periodic interviews. And like, I, 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 would, I would and love to interview anybody. I had Gordo the drummer, for anybody who doesn't know him, the, the best bucket drummer on earth. Uh, Robert right. Barnes, I discovered Nate Brody. And um, started doing more periodic interviews. And then, well, fast forward a little bit, you know, covering all the crap, fake news, uh, you know, Trump injecting bleach, all of these stories. I'm just like, I'm following the news. I know what's bullshit and I know what's not. And I'm trying to break it down in a 10 minute car vlog. Uh, then the protest in Ottawa happens and oh, what the hell am I? I said, I'm just going to go down there and, and live stream and show people what's going on. And that turned into a moment in history where 55,000 live viewers watching uh you know some idiot walk the streets and just talk to people right. and a it, it it made me realize the public uh not demand but craving for unfiltered uh accurate not reporting just reality here it is it, that's it it's, it, and that's and i said it like it's, it was a risk for everybody if there were nazi flags and people taking dumps on the war memorial we would see it i'm not there to i'm not there to first of all, i'm not there to intervene um but that that event turned into something a momentous on its own and then be politically you know part of a very important chapter of canadian history and uh, what happened after that so, so you know at some point in that tangent i realized i'm gonna have to leave the country um, yeah yeah so so you move i'm curious about this question i've never looked this up about you are you a citizen of america at this no, point no, no, time? no no i'm, I'm on okay. a, i'm on a temporary sure. a temporary visa sure. but i you know the, the plan is um there's a lot of a lot of work that I never even like I was prepared at one point I was so in despair I was like I told my wife I'm gonna leave in the middle of the effing night I'm a, this country is going to shit we've got three kids I'm not gonna sit here until the point where it you know you can't leave and I was just prepared to up and leave leave the house I mean this is how irrational and, and <laughs> no, like it's the OCD panic. kicking in <laughs> no it's like, it's like I said leave it leave it my, you know my parents someone will take care of the house we'll all we'll, we'll hire someone from so anyways uh, so, but then I realized, like, we're going to have to leave. This is when they had right. implemented vaccine passports in Canada. And I said, look, I will, I will run for office. I'll, and this is when I really let the, uh, the political freak flag fly. I was like, I'm running for office. I've got carte blanche now to say exactly what I think on full blast to whomever and everyone. And if they don't like it, don't vote for me. Uh, they didn't like it. They didn't. <laughs> you got you got over a thousand votes. Fifteen hundred. But look, I, I'm running in. It's 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 kind of like trying to run in D.C. Like it's trying to right. like running for Trump in D.C. You run with no money compared to the big people that well, have the money I, in this the establishment. True. The, the the money in politics, um, the direct money in Canadian politics is less relevant, I would say, than than in the states because like you can only raise you can only raise and spend so much. And I actually raised. I don't want to make a mistake on the number and someone's going to fact check me. Yeah, like, don't worry I, about it. <laughs> I, I say 15, 20,000 bucks. I raised it a lot. We bought, bought those placards, whatever. But right. the, the money in, in Canadian politics is not really the issue. It's just the corruption of the system. And I discovered it in real time. Like right. Mark Garneau, the, the astronaut, mm -hmm. Canadian liberal MP who, who won Westmount with 53% of the vote. Like they've got the media on their on their side, like the, a, a state-funded yeah. media. So yeah, we're we're gonna get to that. Yeah, today. no. And so like that. That's why yeah. I realized the, the discovered the corruption. But so I said I'm I'm gonna run for office. It was my carte blanche to publicly and um, what's the word unapologetically 
express my political views. And I'm, I'm not radical. I don't even believe that I'm conservative more than liberal. I, I'm just rational. Right. I might be more of a constitutionalist and we do you know, have something of a charter of rights and a bill of rights in Canada. So said, I'm running for office. I have, I have no reasonable aspiration of winning, although part of me thought maybe I could. I said, if I lose, then no one is going to blame me for making the decision that I have to do so that my kids have a normal, uh, healthy upbringing. Uh, uh, vaccine passports, for those of your audience who don't know, in Quebec, they implemented a QR code. You had to show your, I will not swear, but you had to show your QR code to get into coffee shops, department stores. You had to show your papers. It, it applied 13 years and up. I wasn't A, giving that shit to my kids, and B, sure as hell was not going to live in a world where they had to show papers or be denied the right to play sports. As was my daughter's friend. She goes to school. There's a 13-year-old kid who's asked for her QR code to try out for outdoor soccer and got kicked off the field. Two of them. And I said, what, what, did they, what, what did it look like? She's like, they looked absolutely dejected and hurt. And I said, we're not, we're not, we're not, this is not normal and no one's going to have to believe that this is a normal life. And so then I, we made the decision. We're going we're to have to leave. My wife was slow to the curve and then fast to the curve when she went to our kids' school play. This is a kids' school play. A, they start, uh, the authorities start bullying my kid. Where's your papers? And my wife says, she's 12. She doesn't have to show you them. And then they're like, well, go sit over there. Papers, then, please. Pa- it's, 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 it's like the papers. I, that's how yeah. I have my, uh, my papers re- recorded in my email. Um, and then my wife is watching this play and she says, it's like a, it's like, an, it's like a mental institution. It's like an asylum. You have, you have kids wearing masks doing musicals on stage. It's like, this is not normal for anybody. And so we said, that's it. Look, I will be more vocal. I will be more of a defender for Canada than I can be in Canada because of all the legislation that's being passed there as well. And an opportunity arose with Rumble in Florida. I was like, this is, this is it. And we're doing it. Sold everything. We lived with my parents for maybe a month longer than we, we should have and <laughs> packed a trailer before we had anything figured out and said, we're going and we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, as we'll grow our wings as we jump off this cliff. That's awesome. I'll have to talk to you about Rumble some other time because I'm still trying to grow my presence there. Maybe you have some pointers for me. <laughs> it, 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 well, yeah, it's a, I'll take the Casey Neistat approach. Just keep uploading is the... Just uh, keep uploading. I yeah. will keep doing it. Keep on pushing. Some of the things that you just said uh, that kind of, you know, I was making some mental notes I wanted to kind of touch base back onto. You were talking uh, at one point in time uh, about... Uh, I'm losing... I'm looking for my note that I wrote I, down. I know you want I to come back to the, me- the media corruption. I do want to come back to media corruption, but I completely lost my notice to where I was on, on one of your talking <laughs> Well, let's points. see, running for office, running from the country. Just <laughs> before all that. QR codes. I'll tell you yeah. one, one anecdote which might tr- trigger the memory. Oh, my, oh my, th- there it is. I got it. Go. So you had two things that you said. One, OCD and anxiety and everything else. That's what makes you great. I know that because so many of the people that I speak with that have drive as journalists, have drive as public figures, uh, and I know what drives me as well. It is the failure or the fear of failure that I could possibly have. It is the want to be perfect. It's the want to be liked. It's the want to make sure that everything goes my way. Um, and so when you're that much control and you have that OCD, you have the anxiety around it, it drives us to get to the matter, to get to the truth, to cut through all the others. And the other thing you said, you said, if everybody liked, everybody didn't like you and you started making waves. I had a boss that said to me one time, he goes, Greg, you know why I like you? And I said, why? He goes, because not everybody likes you. 
if everybody likes you, I know that you're not doing your job well. And I think that that's true. If, if we're placating to every single person, we're not standing for anything. And so I think that, that that's a, it's a bold principle for you to maintain that you should be proud of upsetting people, not well, on purpose, but, but before I forget about the, my only concern about the OCD and living under a constant state of stress and anxiety is the <laughs> yeah. cortisol levels that I'm, yes. I'm not sure are healthy, but they're not, you know, and, and if I don't exercise, holy crap, you want to see You want to see anxiety. Um, but the, no, the, the idea what I, when I realized is you may as well say what you think, because even if you say nothing, like when it became silence was violence. And if I don't put that stupid ass black, uh, avatar over my Instagram, then I'm yeah. causing violence. Well, then it became a question of, at fuck you. I mean, that literally, that's what it, it, if you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna judge me for not doing it. Well, I'll tell you what I really think. Then you're a virtue signaling bullshit artist, yeah. and you should be ashamed of having done it. Thank you for making me express my opinion because I would I would have said nothing, but apparently saying nothing is bad. So I may as well say what I believe. So I call that slacktivism, and I think that Facebook and that whole social media generation they started slacktivism. Uh, it's this idea that, oh, I feel strongly about that, and I'm going to show it by changing my profile picture to a flag or something, but I'm actually not going to do shit about it. I'm not actually going to go out into the world and try to end homelessness. I'm not going to actually go and talk to a friend that's dealing with mental health crisis. I'm just going to say, I support this, or please repost this and like if you agree. And that's the slacktivism culture that I think was intentionally created by many individuals because they understand the psychology of human beings. It was Mark Twain that said, uh, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they were fooled, right? And so if you can get a population all thinking in one direction, tell the big lie, like Joseph Goebbels said, um, and I like how they rebranded Donald Trump as the big lie, because it's going back to tie into the narrative of Hitler and everything else that he tried to get to stick with with Trump. Um, the more you tell that, the more people start to accept it. There's a book that I'm reading right now, Viva. I'm not sure if you've seen this before. I have it here. It's 180 Degrees by Fergus O'Connor. I'm pretty sure that's a pen name. Um, Fergus O'Connor Greenwood. He's going through uh, how to break down the truths that you've been told and to look at it from a new way. When I was on your show, I told you, I love philosophy. Um, and I just heard you say you studied philosophy. I also have a television and film degree. I also had a photography business at one point in time. So we actually have some things K together we're here, kindred brother. kindred spirits. Yeah, we're kindred spirits. <laughs> and, we're the, and we're the same age. And it's we're actually... the same age, exactly. <laughs> um, the Allegory of the Cave, I did an episode two years ago on the network. And people, to this day, it still gets shared. People really like it. Uh, where I talk about this inability for us to leave our own cave and question whether or not what people have told us is the reality is truly the reality. And we know historically, you know, the Greeks told us what happened when you return to the cave with that type of information, what happens? You get killed. You, you become a martyr for having truth. Isn't that an irony of where we are right now with social media, social influencers, uh, and I think there's a lot of people out there that are grifters and frauds. They have big money that's behind them. And I question the content they put out there. I wouldn't have you on the show if I thought you were one of those people. I would instead, you'd be a topic of my show. Um, so I appreciate you not going that route. I'm just curious. How do you approach telling people the truth without getting what Fergus would call the backfire effect, where when people are challenged with 
their belief, they instead dig into their belief instead of listening to what you're going to tell them. Well, interesting. You, so you quoted Mark Twain for the, you know, easier to fool than to convince them they've been fooled. The other one I love is history doesn't repeat, but it tends to rhyme. And right. so you have like the allegory of the cave. It, it applies mutatis mutandis over time because it's a human, uh, it's a human nature issue. And it will, it will apply to whatever the context is of the time. Mutatis mutandis means adapted for the circumstances. Um, so interesting question about the grifter stuff. And I get rarely accused of being a grifter, but it's only by, you know, really, really rabid trolls and I, and I don't pay attention to it. But it is something to always bear in mind. There are people out there, they're called grifters, but they might also just be called opportunists. And they'll always exist. Mm. There's going to be opportunity. There are people who insincerely are out there to make a buck. And this, I mean, look, that's what life is about. It just, you know, in, in circumstances where intellectual honesty is required, making the buck at the expense of intellectual honesty is where the grifting begins. The, when you have a crowd and you, and you, like, you don't want your influence or your opinion to be dictated or influenced by supporters, financing, etc. And then the question is sometimes, you know that if you come out and say something that will piss off your crowd, are you being manipulated or, you know, sort of having your opinions shaped by the audience that you've acquired over the, over the, over the years who have come because of your honesty. And so the, the one thing is you don't have to tell the truth, but you can't lie. So you can't say something that's not true, but you don't have to come out and say everything that's true all the time for no better reason. Uh, that being said, when it's important and you know, when, when Trump came out, this was a while back, but um, he said, he made a joke. I forget what it was. And he said, I was being sarcastic. I forget what the context was, but the word that he intended to use was definitely not sarcastic. It had to do with the bleach, I think. Okay. And, you know, so when, you, when you're, I, I know that if I'm going to be critical of something Trump does, it's going to get some backlash because people don't want to hear it. Yeah. And people are also going to say, look, for whatever his foibles, it's not, it's not worth the discussion. So it has to be, you know, important, relevant in order to be addressed. But I do it anyhow. And I take right. some flack for saying that at some point in time, Trump is going to have to either answer to or reverse on his still seeming um, enamor with that, with that jibby jab. People don't like hearing it, but it doesn't matter. Now, I don't have to spend all day shitting on Trump because by, at the end of the day, um, he's, he is the solution as far as I'm concerned to the problem, which is Biden and who's got many more issues other than arguably <laughs> yes, having been duped. All right. So that's, that's, that's how I deal with that. But you know, the bottom line, you don't have to tell the truth, but you just can't lie. So don't say something if what you're saying is going to be influenced in a manner that's going to um, disingenuously craft what you're going to put out there for fear of angering anybody. Right. So I had a, a major person, I won't say any names here because I want to, even with the influencers, I don't want to say names. There's no need in dragging other people through the mud here. But I had a major, major person that people would know very well talk to me about how to grow my brand. Uh, said, you know, you're on the America Out Loud Network. Um, you should go to do this. And he goes, this is what you need to do. You need to talk about Trump more. You need to be more pro-Trump in all of your shows. And you're going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can't do it. Like, I still haven't figured out how to make money on this because it's not about the money to me. I enjoy putting the content out that I put out. If that leads to a financial future for me, great, excellent, wonderful. The truth is so much more important to me because like you, having young children, I want them to inherit a world that I know I put more truth into it than I took out of it. And so my show on Monday, 
uh, is one that's going to upset both sides. And I wanted your thoughts on this as somebody who normally defends Trump a little bit more on my view of this. I know that you're already familiar with what happened last week with Biden and special counsel. Mm-hmm. Her says, you know, in our five hour interview, this guy was mentally unfit. And Viva, I don't know that you and I ever talked about this. I live in Delaware. Uh, I know Joe Biden uh, through my mom was a volunteer. I got photos with my family with the Bidens. Um, I was one of the first to interview John Paul Mac Isaac about the Hunter Biden laptop. I lost friends in that circle because of that. Uh, I interviewed Shooter's Choice where he purchased the gun illegally. I got all the facts for that. I had everything before the American public ever had it, put it on my show. Maybe not everybody got to hear it because of that, but I've been critical of the man, but I want to compliment him to start this. You're talking about Joe Biden. I'm talking now. about Joe Biden right now. Okay, let's hear the, the compliment has to be, uh, he got away with it. <laughs> yes. No, the compliment's this. As somebody who's lived in Delaware, been a part of this through the 80s, at least in my life, I was born in 79, so 80s, 90s, 2000s, and seeing him. By 2000, I started going, I don't identify with this guy anymore. He used to truly be more of a moderate. Uh, he used to work both sides of the aisle, and I felt like he wanted what was best. He served for almost six decades, his country. I want to know, why is it so important that he continues to serve almost into the seventh decade as he's going to be in his mid eighties at the end of a second term? We now know from this interview, he's got major memory issues, which I reported on from people that were close to him already. It's been going on for 10 years. Now we see it 2017. He was having issues before he was ever elected president. He doesn't remember when he was vice president. He doesn't remember exactly when his son died. He's missing details that you would expect to start going during dementia. Why is it his wife is out there on MSNBC saying his age is an asset? This is abuse. Why is the DNC not stepping in, removing him as their candidate and saying it's got to stop? Is it because the people that are in control know that they have a puppet? Is it because Jill Biden wants to say I'm first lady, I'm making more money for my family later on? What is going on from your perspective? Because you're in different political circles than I am. Well, I mean, I think you'll never know, but it's any number of things. Everybody has always said that it's been Obama, the puppet master president under Biden. But then there's other people who said Obama was just a figurehead. It's I go with the deep state, military, industrial complex, administrative state, whatever you want to call it, uh, that are using this man as a useful tool, not a useful idiot, because when his when he was there, I don't think he was an idiot, but they're using him as a tool. Um, and, and anybody, any, when it comes to politics, any warm body will do as we saw with John Fetterman, his name, it's John, right? I mean, I yeah. Yeah. John. John Fetterman. Yep. As, as with Fetterman, like he certainly seems to have made a, a recovery, but at the time he was running, he needed to be, uh, being taken care of, possibly hospitalized, or at the very least resting and not being paraded around like a political tool by his wife, by his party, anybody to defeat, uh, Dr. Oz. So they will use literally the mentally infirmed to the extent that they can. And when they're no longer useful, they will be brushed aside. So that's what I think is going on. I mean, Biden has been a useful uh, tool for a very long time. I don't think anybody ever thought that he was in charge of the presidency. I don't think people ever thought Obama was in charge of the presidency. I think these are selected figureheads 
that are used as you know the representatives uh, of an organization that props them up and gets everything mm-hmm. that they need out of them, and then brushes them aside when they're when they're no longer useful, or makes sure they have a very opulent lifestyle for the rest of their days. Now, I think I know where you're going in terms of giving yeah. Trump think, a hard time I, on this. I, I, yeah, I, I think you do, because we got to be honest, right? I, I, this is the intellectual honesty that I want Republicans and Democrats on both sides to have. First, in my lifetime, the boomers have never let go. And what have the boomers given America? $33 trillion in debt. What have they given us? Still unsecure borders and infighting, not figuring out how to make it work. Endless wars, almost every single presidency of my lifetime, except Trump, just constant, constant, constant. More division over the last 15 years of my life than I can ever remember. This is the boomer generation. This is Nancy Pelosi. This is the Mitch McConnells, the Chuck Schumers. This is the Bidens. And I'm asking, is it also right to put the same lens of ageism and start to go, you know what? Why is it Donald Trump is still the only option the Republicans have? How come there is nobody else that can lead this country? Why is it only one man? And if that's where it's at, can this country even be saved? Well, I will, I will push back in the answer, and I think it's the answer and not an answer. It's not ageism, it's mental acuityism. The age is not the problem in and of itself, full stop. I'm trying to think of like a, I'm trying to think of a very, very sharp 80 some odd year old person where you would say, yes, their life experience is an asset and not a liability. It's not- Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's pretty sharp still. That's a joke, right? <laughs> Wait, is Bob Dylan? I'm not, I don't want to be mean. Is he, he's, he's still alive, right? He's still writing amazing albums. He won like a Grammy two years ago, yes. Uh, I, I no longer place any value in any awards that come out of Hollywood. <laughs> I know, um, I know. But I'm saying he's, he's still well, doing his thing in writing. It, it, with Joe Biden, it was never the age. I mean, I, I would trust my father to be president over Joe, Bi- uh, Joe Biden. My dad's 81 as well, even though he's, you know, his memory is fading and his, his hearing is going. But there, people try to compare Trump's mental acuity to Biden's. And when Trump says, Nancy Pelosi was in charge of security, Nancy Pelosi, and they think that that's the same thing. Now, I, I say this and I say, am I being more forgiving on Trump? Because I want to be. I'm very, I, I, I have that reflex. My answer is no. I'm not being more forgiving on Trump. I make n- mistakes on names. There's an argument that he was not even doing it by accident, that he was doing it as a deliberate troll because everyone's focusing on how it wasn't Nancy, uh, it wasn't... Uh, Oh, what's her name? Nikki Haley that was in charge of of D.C. security. It was Nancy Pelosi. Well, checkmate, bitches. Now he just got you to admit that Pelosi was the one who had the authority. So uh, set that 4D level chess aside. I don't think anybody makes such overt mistakes for that. The idea of mistaking someone's name in a speech happens to everybody. When you're doing it in the context of full sentences, coherent thoughts, you know, politically rational arguments, it's not the same thing as saying, I was negotiating the release of aid from Mexico to Egypt. Like, it's not the same thing. So I I agree with you 100%. The mental acuity of Trump is definitely sharper than one of Joe Biden. My point is actually a little bit different. I'm going to ask you, when you're 80 years old, where do you hope to be? Alive, first of all. (laughs) Right? So, So... that's a great freaking answer. The first thing I hope to be when I'm 80 is alive. I hope to be alive when I'm 50, right? Like it's a gift, it's a blessing. I also hope to be spending time with my grandchildren if I'm so blessed with them. Uh, if my wife's with me, I hope to be spending time enjoying life. These are individuals that are so ingrained in th- thinking that they are the solution to all of our problems 
that that's where I'm, I'm struggling here. It's not about acuity mentally. It's what's causing 80 year olds to go. I'm still the answer for this country. And why don't we have any direction here from anybody else? Why is well, no one getting a hold of that? Well, so that's interesting. I mean, and, and then again, like I'm going to ask myself whether or not this is because I, I like Trump or I support Trump or think that he has to be the candidate. When I look at someone like, let's just say, um, well, Joe Biden might not be the best example. Let's say Nancy Pelosi. Let's say any of these octogenarian hacks in, in politics. Why do they do it? Because they, they, they actually have nothing to fall back on but the wealth and the riches that is procured from their public service, which is very odd. Why would someone like Trump, who didn't need this shit to begin with, and you go back to his interview on Howard Stern, where Howard's like, don't do it. It's going to ruin your life. It's not going to make your life like these like these um, professional politicians who go into public service and come out multimillionaires. It's going to ruin your life. So why would someone who knows full well it will ruin your life? Maybe I don't think he knew to the extent that they would go after him. Why would he continue to do it? And it's there that I see a, a very big difference in terms of the sincerity of the objective. Trump's not going in there for clout. He's not going in there for money. He's not going in there for stardom. He's not going in there for popularity. He's already got all of that. So why would he be doing it? I can only attribute good motives to it and not bad motives. Now, by the way, flip side, they're trying to spin it into the, into the bad motives. Well, now he needs to become president in order to stay out of jail. Well, don't they just get to weaponize their persecution? They can take that sure. and stick it where the sun don't shine. So I do view the, the, the um, what's the word? The, the, you know, the, the objective, the goal, the pursuit of becoming president differently when it's a career politician who, but for the money that he makes from his public service is useless, has no specific set of skills and will have nothing to, you know, he won't be right. able to make it in the, in the regular world. And their only method of survival is to continue with it uh, so they can reap the benefits. It's the exact opposite for Trump. It's the exact opposite for Tucker Carlson. It, it, it was the exact opposite for um, Vivek Ramaswamy, which is why he was my very right. close second in terms of who I thought would have been the best candidate. He said everything that I wanted to hear, and that actually scared me. He said it well. He said it yeah. loud and proud, and people were saying, like, yeah. being skeptical. Oh, he's saying what you want to hear. When when what you, when what he's saying is pardon Assange, pardon January Sixers. Those are not politically expedient, politically popular things to say. So saying yeah, you, the right things that are unpopular. You got, you got a chance to interview him. Twice, uh, and at least twice. I got to be honest. I watched your interview, and I was going to message you, but I believe firmly in letting people have their own moment, right? I wanted you to go someplace you didn't go with him. And if you ever get a third opportunity to speak with him, please do this, because I know how you feel about the vaccines. This guy was making millions of dollars in the background in getting the software off the ground in order to monitor everybody that was vaccinated. And everybody seems to be giving him a free pass on this. And no one's holding his feet to the fire about his financial interest during COVID, where he can say, oh, I, I wanted your rights. He was just as harmful to taking down your HIPAA rights and making sure that employers knew who got vaccines, who did not, and what he was working on during his career before he got highly into politics i'm happy to share that some of that research that i've done off the air when we're not recording so that way if you want to look into it you can oh no for sure and i would say like i you know i was familiar with his big pharma history which i which i did right. ask him about and if you say something new yep. that i haven't known and i know that you know your stuff so i i will not disregard it but send it to me and i'll, I'll yeah, have a yeah. look. We'll, we'll see you know where we come into that whole conversation now you mentioned tucker carlson you mentioned you don't think that trump has things to gain i I would disagree. I'll push back. I think that Trump has his business interest and his family. And I would expect to see a Donald Trump Jr. to run for president in the future or public office because he's a very likable guy in the interviews. But hold on, um, but you got you to stop there. He had his businesses. Those were already massively successful businesses. 
They, they, they only took a hit from him get becoming president unless it's a long-term investment. Long-term investment. That's what I'm talking about. It's a long-term investment. It's not about the short term. I, I, I made this comment before he was ever elected president. Just so you know, I'm a libertarian. Um, I'm a little bit, I, I, I often will vote Republican. That's normally where I go for the Constitution uh, because they normally have a better shot. Democrats might get my vote 1% of the time here in the local elections if I think it's a good person. That's it. Um, so I think as far as politically, we're probably pretty well aligned in, in, in this conversation. I just want to make sure I'm not stuck in the cave looking at a wall of shadows and not willing to go, but I think I could make an argument for Trump over here. Let's go to Tucker real quick. Tucker Carlson to me is, I, I've done plenty of episodes on this. Um, he's somebody that I see as the mainstream alternative media which actually David Icke has since kind of run with that entire thing. He just did a thing on Alex Jones. I'm not a big David Icke fan. Uh, matter of fact, people that know my historical work know that I took David Icke to task once or twice for making money off of some of the things that he's done, millions well, of he, dollars. He, he meant literal lizard people. That's where I think yes. I, I, I yeah, think that's he where lost I lost me. Like, yeah, he lost I, me a long time ago. I, yeah. I, I, could, I could agree on the metaphors, like, you know, the werewolves, the yeah. lizards, but not literal. Not literally. I'm the same place that you are. <laughs> Um, that stated, there is a mainstream alternative media, and you know this, and I know that you know this. I don't know if you're willing to, to share a little bit well, of- Well, no, you're going to tell me what you mean by it first. I am, gonna... I am. But I think that you know, since you're with Rumble, and you know, I see the Rumble thing in the back there, with the mainstream media losing their audience, they're losing their viewership left and right. People can't afford to even keep the cable news networks in their home with their cable packages. They're moving to Hulu, YouTube TV. They're moving over to just getting their news through Rumble Sources or X. I believe that a lot of people are shifting their model that way. And as somebody who likes to see beyond the wall, I could picture that just because Tucker Carlson's not part of Fox does not mean that Tucker Carlson doesn't still have some very powerful dollars behind him in order to make sure that his views are still being blasted to the to the masses. And this was the biggest win for Tucker. Tucker now is getting, uh, I don't know, I have to do the percentage, but 10,000% more traffic on his videos, right? 60 million views. It, it depends on how you count the views. I've yeah, been told that, that, the views are very liberally counted on Twitter. But okay. All right. But it, it looks to me, he's at least exceeding where he was on the Fox News Network in of 4 terms, million. In terms of reach, I think it's, right. count how you want, it's undeniable. Yeah. Rumble, right? I'm now seeing different individuals hitting up Rumble. Um, you're one of the people that's on Rumble that I will, like I said at the beginning, I will defend you to the death. You're, you're my brother in arms in this. There are other people on Rumble that I'm going, huh, how did they get up there so fast? How did they go from being an X profile over the here? And so I see this mainstream alternative media. This is a great time for it, but I think it's also a time to have prudence in who we listen to and to make sure that we're representing all views and not getting into an echo chamber. So it depends what you're suggesting by the question. I, I'm suggesting uh, that there is an active um, collaboration between all these internet type of streaming services in order to create the new media and that you are part of that. I mean, oh, I, don't, I don't, I don't mind that part. Yeah. So long, so long as the suggestions is that it's not inorganic and that it's manipulated. No, there is definitely, there's no question. The alternative media is, uh, people are being drawn to it for two different reasons. And it's something I've said, basically like rumble is not a social media platform. It's a media platform. And so nobody's going, well, 
I say that, meanwhile, the, the video that I put out yesterday of me catching a fishing rod with my fishing rod now has 30,000 views on my, ran my Viva Random channel on, on Rumble, but only 1,000 views on YouTube. I think mm. it's going to eclipse it on YouTube once it starts right. gaining traction. But th the bottom line is people are going to Rumble not to watch kitty cat videos and, and like, uh, I don't know, I'll call it eye candy or intellectual uh, vapid nonsense like they go to YouTube for. They're going to rumble now so they can get the network type stuff that right. they used to get from network television. Now it costs money, now it's all bullshit. And so that's so you have a certain demographic, ideological demographic, and that is that is true. You can't deny that. Although Rumble put out a poll. It said there's quite a quite a few liberals, uh, Democrats, left-leaning individuals on Rumble as well. It's people who want free speech. And so in that ecosphere, you're going to get some people rising to the top much faster than they would right. ever in a platform like YouTube, where it's just people are there for different reasons. Algorithms work differently. Um, if the idea is that it's sort of, uh, what's the word, curated, mm -hmm. uh, I have no knowledge of it, but I don't think so. I think it's just, okay. bottom line, people are, there are some people who are milking it because it's a new demographic and they know they have certain interests and they can curate their content for that. And so you have sort of like a natural evolution of curation of content. Um, but I don't think you have any sort of any manipulation the way you had at, at YouTube or formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Right. But, um, and then the Tucker Carlson, he's definitely got big money behind him. He definitely wants to shape public narrative. Uh, look, and I, who was, I was talking about it yesterday with the critical thinking teacher of that four minute video that went viral last week. And he was saying, look, you know, if you're trying to convince people of something, isn't that propaganda? And it's, it's a legit question. I'm thinking, mm. no, propaganda by definition, on the one hand, you know, typically means state funded or state promoted, right. but it also means inaccurate. Like the whole thing about propaganda is it's trying to convince you of something that's not true, convince you that something that's bad is good, that something that's good is bad. Uh, if you're just trying to convince people of what you sincerely believe, you want to, you want to use all available tools to do it short of deceit. Uh, so yeah, definitely Tucker has big money behind him. If not directly, at the very least, he's got the support of Elon Musk. He's got the biggest bullhorn in the world, maybe the second. Um, but he definitely wants to shake public opinion. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think at the end of the day, even the grifters or those who are opportunistically exploiting the new alternative media and the new demographic, they'll, they'll, the, the people will get wise to who they can and cannot trust right. um, in the long run. And that brings me to kind of uh, bookend the Donald Trump and everything. General Flynn, Patrick oh, Byrne, yeah. Roger Stone, who you've interviewed. But my question is this, you know, is, is General Flynn, Roger Stone, Patrick Byrne, are they really in Trump's corner? Is, is, is General Flynn, the lifelong Democrat, really uh, looking out in Trump's best interest? Um, or is this just another cashing in on American I, exceptionalism and Christianity? I don't think Michael Flynn is opportunistically cashing in on anything or even trying to. Patrick Byrne, I'm much less familiar with. And Roger Stone, I'm, I'm quite familiar with. I don't think he's... Um, okay. I don't look, dude, he, his, his life has been ruined. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and literally no, ruined yeah. for his support of Trump. So I don't think he's, you know, whether or not he's trying to make ends meet and try to like, you know, pay the legal fees of bills. Um, I don't think there's anything opportunistic in them. I, with Michael Flynn, and, I, and if I ever have him on, and I, like we follow each other, I'm sure I could get him. My question would be, in retrospect, does he maybe um, recognize that he might have got a little too deep into the 
some of the conspiracy theories that mm-hmm. ended up costing him a lot of credibility, even among people who, who believed in him. Uh, you know, did he, did he drink a little bit too much of the Sidney Powell Kool-Aid? Uh, that's the question I'd ask him because I, I have no question about the sincerity of Michael Flynn. The man okay. is uh, a, 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 at the time, an untarnished uh, hero of, of American society turned into public enemy number one, but might've gone a little bit over the deep end on certain of the, um, you know, the, the, the Q theories as to what was going to happen with Trump. You think? (laughs) Yeah. Roger Stone, he might be his own worst enemy. When you come out and say things like see you next Tuesday, you just don't do it. It's not the same thing as calling someone a C-U-N-T, but it's not, it's, it's only better by a degree. A degree. And, um, uh, but you know, no, I, I don't think these people are, at this point in their lives and in their careers, trying to do anything opportunistically. I think they're trying to survive, uh, but they're not ready to survive at all costs. Patrick Byrne is one I, I'm just right. much less familiar with, but no, I don't know if that answers the question. No, it does. It, it's you, like I said, you have a little bit different of a reach than I do. You know, I'm talking to uh, doctors based upon COVID over the past couple of years. I'm talking to Jake uh, uh, Angeli Chansley. He's, a, he's, um, a, he's, a, he's another guy. He's amazing. I, mean, yeah, I, he's I, I had him on. And whether I, or not I go all the way with those, he was describing magnetic ways. I forget right. what he called them. I'm Lay not lines. into that. I'm not going to. Dr- yeah. I, 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 look, there's a lot of things that I don't believe in that I can understand how people believe right. in. Um, but yeah, to, that dude, man, to survive what, what he went through, you got to be a, a different a make of a human. There's a lot of things that I didn't believe that after doing this show and talking to the individuals I've spoken to, I believe a lot more of because I try to remain open to my own ignorance. And uh, I will tell you the ley lines thing. Once he said that on my show, I was like, okay, here we go. And I start having some other guests and explaining that to me. It's like, this is actually starting to make a little well, that, bit that, more sense. But, and when I say like, that's, I know it's, it might sound crazy right off the bat, but right. then you understand like there are magnetic waves and our bodies, yeah. our energy. That's not as, that's something that I will entertain. I even entertained the flat earth with a guy named Mark Sargent on my channel. Oh ba- God. Back I, I in could, the day. I, this I was couldn't like, do that. I can, I can debunk that rather quickly. Well, no, but well, the thing is, I, I, uh, I, you can't debunk it because it's a self-fulfilling loop. Like they, it's, it's an argument that cannot be defeated because when one argument gets defeated, it triggers up the other argument. Like, oh, well, you can't see the, um, the boat over the horizon. It's not because of the curvature of the earth. It's because of distortion. Um, and then there was, a, oh, and then, then it can't even be remedied with a long enough telescope. But uh, that was one of the first controversial. I didn't right. even think it was going to be controversial. I had Mark Sargent on. We had a discussion. I realized, okay, I can never disprove your theory because of the premises that you set up. Right. And um, I do so, not believe that Mark Sargent is sincere. I think. So, for if you ever want to d- destroy him in that, the guest that I had a few weeks ago, Ben Davidson, bring him on to explain why the Earth cannot be flat. And he'll destroy Mark Sargent in a matter of minutes. It's obvious why. I mean, it's obvious why the Earth cannot be flat. The only question is: Is it true to say it's not round because it's what is it? Ovuloid? It's it's it's, it's egg shaped, right? Or like a little like you know, no, no, squished love, from gravity. I yeah. love the argument. It's like every other celestial body, I can see it with binoculars, right. is round, ovul, circular. Like, why would the Earth be any different? Uh, but anyhow, but I believe it's also sort of like a quasi-religious belief. It's a philosophy that I will yeah. question everything at, down to the most basic. The earth is not round. It's, so I, I, res- I respect um, anybody who believes it. It's just like not going to be something I, I believe in. Yeah, I think healthy questioning is, is good for everybody. You know, 
right now we have a belief in government, I think, from individuals that is not warranted. Um, you should look at your history, Gough of Tonkin and so many other areas. Can you, can you believe there are people out there who still trust the government? And it's like, and it's, it's, it's a wild, like fringe thing to say, I do not trust anything they say. They are a necessary evil. Yeah. They need to, you know, manage public infrastructure contracts and screw over everybody with massive corruption. I'm going to trust them to, when I know that they're lying to me in real time, they've lied to me last year, five years ago, 50 years ago, but I'm supposed to trust them tomorrow. I mean, you, you gotta be stupid to actually believe yeah, that. It's the same thing, belief in the mainstream narrative. Yeah, I, I don't understand why people can not see the fact that the intelligence agencies have manipulated the mainstream for years. Back in the 1970s, there were reports that the CIA had bought off basically all the major reporters and were running their, their content on them. It, it's us at the beginning of COVID, I, you know, I, some people were saying, whatever the media is telling you, the exact opposite is true. And I'm like, okay, that's a little extreme. There is no, uh, no, it's no. not. What it's was inverted. the most, the most recent one that they said was a conspiracy theory. It'll, it'll come to me where now it's like, okay, now I know that it's true. I have to, I'll have to, oh, I, I need to remember. It doesn't matter. Bottom line, right. if they say it, I mean, you can bet the exact opposite is true and you'll be right more often than not. And that's the most predictive uh, form of determination you can imagine. And then this concept that, you know, uh, people are gatekeepers of information, uh, the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson's, the Bill Gates, uh, that all of a sudden they're the authoritative voice and there can be no other. My final question for you today, Knowing that you have a large platform, knowing that I have a large reach via podcast, what should people like you and I be doing in order to help break down the fourth wall to get people to step outside the cave without us killing one another over the information? How do we get people to accept the message with love? Because I really do believe at the end of the day, that energy of love is, is what wins. So what's your plan in order to try to cast the widest net catch it, more fish it's a tough it's a tough question because like every demographic or every group requires a different um strategy and the, you know the old expression you catch more flies with honey, honey than vinegar first of all it's not it's actually not true like when we had fruit flies i put vinegar i put they honey right and i put in. wine I, well, I think wine was the best one to attract them and i think that only had to do with the alcohol um and so some people need to be gently brought to the water. Uh, other people need to be sort of shaken out of the slumber. Other people need a cold glass of water on the face. And other people are incorrigible liars, bad faith players. The only purpose they can serve is, um, I don't say exploitation, but what's the word? P publication to others. And so there's some people you can have the discussions with. And I, and I adopt this on Twitter, like, you know, if I think someone's of good faith, I'll treat them accordingly until proof to the contrary. When I know that they're of bad faith, by and large, I'll give up unless I can use them as a catalyst to make a point to others. The most prime example is that recent Twitter space I did with a bunch of vax-pushing doctors, so-called doctors. I don't even believe that any of them are doctors. And i like, all right, I, look, I, I, they, they are toxic people. They are actual harassers. They're still pinging, but... It needed to be exposed once and for all so that I could move on and say, I, I didn't, I tried to convince them, but they're bad faith actors, but I'll yeah. let the other, I'll let it, the rest of the world decide. I think the rest of the world knows. So I won't, again, keep names out of the mud in that space. I know for a fact you had one pharma shill that is a pharma paid account that was meant to try to get everybody to go pro vaccine. Um, and he hosts some of the most ignorance spaces. Um, he invited me one time 
because he heard a story I did with Peter McCullough on my show. And he wanted to speak with me because he couldn't get Peter. Surprise, surprise. I was naive enough to go on to it with him. And within the first five minutes, I said, you're not here for discussion. I'm gone. I oh, but then, but then, backed but then out. Victory. They play that clip. He ran. I, he ran like a baby. I'm okay with that because I would rather spend my time with people who actually care than people who don't. And if people can't see that, that's on them. I'm concerned that society is not seeing that more and more. Uh, but well, you did great I, on that space, by the way. I, I, I love all the content. As good as I was going to do, because I was never going to, I was never going to disprove their science, but I, right. at least I could use their premises to show that they're a bunch of monsters. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I, I made a video way back in the day. You know, uh, I think it was like five. How to identify problem clients? And once you identify. Uh, personality disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, or even bipolar, undiagnosed or diagnosed. Once you can identify them and you know how to respond to them without taking it personally, but the, and, and one of the, nar the look, it's, it's quite clear that they are narcissistic personality disorders clinically, but when they accuse you of running after five minutes and then they use that as their soundbite to humiliate you, it's the tactic. They, mm -hmm. they tried to use it on me after two hours or an hour and a half. I'm like, it's, it's tactics that bad faith players are going to do. Bad faith players are going to do all the time. You need to be able to identify it. But the bottom line, how, how do we do it? I mean, I, I do believe sunlight is the greatest exposure. Uh, humor is the best vessel or, or delivery method to the extent possible. And then screaming at the clouds is not a bad method either. Like, you know, they, they say don't swear on Twitter because uh, it, it, it affects reach. And I don't care about reach. I, I genuinely think truth will truth will break down the barriers of any algorithm um and it does until youtube just pulls the plug and says age restricted and now the truth is not going to break down that barrier but like swearing on twitter it, it's even it people will uh, let me rephrase this the truth will resonate with people and people will um understand the truth when they see it and so the question is just choose the appropriate delivery mechanism to get it there right. in the long run uh, it will play out that way. Three things cannot long be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth, Buddha. And, um, oh, damn it, I had the best way to finish that, and then I just forgot it. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, no, that's right. And, and you know, th it is why in every regime across the world now, the internet is the number one target for legislation, suppression, uh, hate speech regulation, disinformation regulation. There's a reason for it. And so you have to keep fighting the good fight in a way that does not harm your interests more than it promotes them and with the tools that are available and which with the tools that will become available. So they might succeed in regulating the internet to the uh, status of MSM, like network television, cable television. Uh, I don't know that they'll get there, but they, they're going to try. If it gets there, find the new tools. But for the time being, we've got the bullhorns, we've got the networks, and I dare say we, we've got the truth, which let loose like a lion will defend itself. For everybody here, I put up on the screen if you're if you're watching on socials, but if you're listening to the the podcast through the America Out Loud Network, at the Viva Fry F R E I Viva V I V A, um, which Look, is a dude, great play on your name. I love it. And, and I'm, I'm I'm looking one thing up as you say this because now that we've established my neuroses, I believe I was at three. I'm, I'm at three hundred and ninety nine thousand three hundred ninety nine point three thousand. Um, followers on rumble and i just need to get to that round four i don't care about that but um no no yeah, so on rumble uh let me pull up your rumble channel for everybody as well and I, and I was just looking at that video 
I caught a fishing rod. Everyone, everyone who's watching this, I went fishing yesterday. My kid didn't want to go with me because he says you never catch a fish when we go. I take one cast. I foul snag a tilapia, not on purpose. A right. big fat tilapia. I put it back. It's like, oh, I, I took a short video. I was like, hey, the kid's going to regret not coming. Second cast, I catch like a two pound bass. I was like, oh, I better start recording what's going on here because I'm going to go three for three. The third cast, I caught a fishing rod in a, in a retaining pond in the middle of Florida. And I'm like, this is, this is astronomically outrageous. That video's got nearly 40,000 views on Rumble. And it's, you know, YouTube is just inundated. So... Well, on Go Rumble, you can find rumble.com backslash user backslash Viva Fry and uh, help them get the 400,000. You know, we got 100,000 people listening to this show right now. So I expect you to go on every single one of you to that website, click it, and let's get him the, you know, at that point in time, 599,000. Let's get 699,000. <laughs> I, I, like, I don't do these campaigns. I just say, it's so irritating. No, I, I, I know. I see I'm having fun with it. <laughs> it's like having an odometer that's stuck at 399.9. Just get to the next. I, I got to share before we go. I got to tell you this. So on Twitter, um, the, the X, whatever the cool kids are calling it nowadays, the story that I came on to your show that's all about Erica Marsh, I had close to 9.8 million people viewing that story within the first 48 hours. When I started getting contacted, my listeners know part of the story. I shared some stuff privately with you beforehand, but they, they know part of this. When people started contacting me and I got ghosted from the story, before that ever happened, my reach on X stopped overnight. I was getting anywhere from 100 to 200 followers every 30 minutes. Within 48 hours, it was like somebody turned the faucet off and I've never recovered. Uh, I've never been able to grow my reach. And I know on your show, I was like, you know, I don't need people to follow me. And at the time, I, I, I really believe that. Now I'm like, you know what? I'm offering something good to the world as far as my show and stuff. I hope people would follow if they find it worthwhile. But I feel like I've been completely deboosted for telling that story not by X, but by the people that were behind not wanting to see other information it, that was in there. It's a very interesting thing you say this as well, because like, look, I've noticed it on YouTube in the past. You touch certain stories and it's instantaneous and channel wide. Then I get on chat and they, oh, no, nothing. We, we, we do it video by video. We want channels to succeed. Uh, when I, since I covered the Elon Musk tweet about the immigration that went viral, mm -hmm. YouTube didn't want anybody talking about that, the migrants that beat up the police officers, the fact that they were released without bail. Um, I, I've noticed it's like a faucet has been switched off. And I think the way it does happen is that you can have these brigades which will come and either downvote tweets, which I'm certain will have an impact on the algorithm. And so it's not necessarily Elon saying bad boy because Elon is a, you know, it's, uh, it's campaigns that have the uh, impact of uh, downgrading your the ranking of your channel within the performance of, of, of Twitter. I don't know this for any uh, with any any insider. I, I know this not beyond my own thinking, and right. it makes total sense. Uh, but yeah, no, that's just right. Man, you touch you touch the wrong story, you piss off the wrong crowd, and uh, I, I think it'll 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 turn around at some point in time. Some point. You put out good stuff, Greg. Yeah. You're 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 a, a natural conversationalist, and you 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 break stuff that other people don't. So if people want that, they're gonna find you, and when they find you, they'll they'll hold on to you. Hey, try our best. Well, I hope that my audience, my bold Americans, please run, don't walk, go follow Viva, go check out vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Uh, that's where you can find his locals community as well to be able to subscribe. As always, Viva, it's been a pleasure to uh, get to speak with you today. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. 
Thank you for having me. This is great. Absolutely. All right, bold Americans. That has been another time honor tradition of saying, I hope that we honored your time well. And I really do. I think it was a great conversation. I hope to get Viva back in the future for you. And uh, if you have questions that you wish that I had asked Viva, type them in. Let me know on social media. Go over to my patreon.com backslash American Bolden, where you can join the Bold American family as well. And you can do that there or on the America Out Loud dot news you can check that out and leave comments through there you've been listening or watching america emboldened with greg bolden here on the america out loud network be bold america mm-hmm.